It's 8am, Biden is at 220 electoral college votes and Trump is at 213. Welcome to a US election reaction edition of the Bunker Daily. I'm Andrew Harrison and with me I've got Yasmin Saran, staff writer with The Atlantic. Hello Yasmin, have you been to bed yet? <laughs> I guess uh, I've been to bed a couple of times but for about like hour-long increments so yes and no. I'm very sleepy. This is about my third third or fourth time waking up today. Oh God, micro <laughs> micro naps. We've got the nightmare scenario. Uh, Trump has just now alleged fraud and claimed victory without the votes to support it. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country, he said. Meanwhile, votes are still being counted and Pennsylvania might not announce till Friday. Big question, but how do you see this playing out? Gosh, I mean, it it, it is funny that you say that because, you know, the first thing I said when I heard the president say those words, specifically, frankly, we did win this election, mm. which, you know, they, they did not. They could, but they did not. No one has won this election, yeah. uh, was I can't believe this. But then I was like, wait, hang on. Yes, I can. We we kind of predicted that this could happen. And he's been hinting that this is sort of the, the argument that he was going to make well before, you know, folks started casting their ballots on election day. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a bit distressing, to be honest. I think even though we kind of anticipated that President Trump would seek to, you know, call into question uh, the, the process of voting. And he, at this point, he seems to kind of want to have it both ways. He's both angry that Arizona has been called at least by one network in, in Biden's favor, but he's also angry that other states have not yet been called in his favor. So um, it's a bit distressing that, you know, in the midst of, of this election playing out, and it is still very much playing out, millions of votes yet to be counted, uh, that we're in a situation where the, the president is frankly questioning uh, and, and undermining the, the, the faith that Americans should have in, in this democratic process. Uh, so yeah, it's, it, I'm just a bit kind of sleepy and astounded at the same time. Yeah. Although we can sort of cheer up a tiny little bit in that, uh, I can update that figure now, as you say, Arizona has gone for Biden. So it's two, three, one electoral college votes, but, uh, so that's the only state that's flipped so far, isn't it? And Biden needs needs flips. Um, where else do we think we might be getting you know, those those flips that Biden needs? Yeah. So the the key states that are in play still, as I understand it, are like states like Georgia, which I think is very close. Um, Pennsylvania, um, which I think Trump is leading in, but as you say, uh, those those official results aren't expected uh, at least for another couple of days, maybe the end of the week. Um, and then Michigan and Wisconsin. Um, so those are the states that I think a lot of people are kind of zeroing in on. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it, just looking at those numbers. I, I think what what is abundantly clear is that anyone who was hoping that there would be a clear, decisive, just blowout from the get go um, will be will have been sorely disappointed. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, how long this takes, I have no idea. But you know, we we knew going into this, and we've discussed this as well. Like the, the pandemic has slowed things down a bit, and in truth. There has never, even in previous elections, been official results on election day. All we've ever had are our media projections. But you know, the, the some states take weeks to to kind of offer up their official results. You know, add to that a pandemic and a surge in mail and voting. I mean, you know, we just need to be a little patient, including the president. It was a weird night of, of incredibly high tension and ve- and yet very few surprises. States came in pretty much as we expected for most of the night. <laughs> But the one thing, the one takeaway does seem to be that Donald Trump has done an awful lot better than than expected. Uh, you know, he 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 appears that he may well have turned around a polling deficit of of around eight percent. How has he done that? 
It's it's a great. I mean, what I kind of immediately noticed, and I per, perhaps one of the good news for all Americans watching this election is that the turnout has been incredible. But but I think um, per, perhaps folks um, on the Democratic side were hoping that you know the turnout would be sort of a response to the last four years um, of Trump that it, we would kind of see the sort of you know Democratic backlash, so to speak. Uh, but I think what we're seeing is that you know it's been Democrats and Republicans who have gotten just a massive turnout. Um, I don't have the numbers directly in front of me, and I'm, I'm sure we'll learn them as we go. But I, I, I certainly just kind of listening to the cable news networks have heard that you know there there are some states that Trump has won by a larger margin than he did the previous time. So I, I think that's an indication that you know Americans were really fired up to turn out, and, and the Republicans are not excluded from that. They have gotten more people out, just as Democrats have gotten more folks out too. Yeah, it does seem to be a night of doubling down for for pretty much everyone, and and the the, the you know the predictions beforehand that uh, Trump would be sort of reduced only to his base mm. don't seem to have been have been borne out. Uh, New York, the New York Times kind of crunched the exit polls and and found essentially that the country is split into people who worry about the economy and people who worry about the pandemic, and obviously a huge part of the Trump campaign was to uh, was to dispel the latter and make make. Uh, you know, to, to put the former at the centre of the economy. Do you think that has worked? I, I, I think it, you know, yeah, arguably, I, I would say that, you know, it, it is kind of bizarre to, to see the, the sort of arguments delineate on those lines, um, but because there's a lot at stake in, in mind. I mean, it was something that I've kind of walked away from, from this, you know, the results that we've seen so far that, you know, if, if it weren't for this pandemic, Trump probably would have won handedly. The fact that it is this close after, you know, this, this massive global public health crisis that has cost the lives of more than 200,000 Americans. The economy has tanked. I mean, it, it is really kind of astounding that the race is, is as close, at least as it seems to be at this moment. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 it is interesting because these are, you know, obviously very two clearly different priorities right now. And I think the, the stakes are, are pretty um, massive. There, there's no real way to put it. I mean, if, if it's going to, this, this result is going to define the next phase of the pandemic for the U.S., which I think we knew going in. But um, to see the president kind of double down on this notion that it's not a big deal, that we're rounding the curve at the same time that we're seeing cases rise. And, you know, colleagues like my, my colleague, Ed Young, who has a great piece, um, who, who has several great pieces on The Atlantic, which I encourage folks to check out um, on, on how this could be, you know, a, a really kind of dangerous moment for the US when it comes to the pandemic and its handling of it. So um yeah, it's just it's it's kind of sorry, it's kind of hard to have words um to sort of take into account what's what's at stake because it's not just the White House. I mean, it, it's you know, this massive crisis that's in the background as well. Well, the astonishing thing is that the, the when you look at a map of worsening coronavirus and a map of red states, they're hard to distinguish. They, in the, you know, the the areas that are suffering most from coronavirus are still going Trump. Um, and you, obviously from that, you can't, you can't extract or set aside the fact that Trump has so aggressively politicized the virus and, uh, you know, mocks the wearing of masks and undermines scientific advice. And it's sort of, you know, it, it slightly begs belief that the places that are suffering from the, from the, as a result of Trump's neglect of the virus are continuing to back him. Yeah. I mean, I think what it comes down to is that there are kind of almost competing versions of reality when it comes to the threat that this virus poses. Um, I think, you know, and we've discussed this before, President Trump contracting the virus, thankfully coming out from the other side and recovered, you know, using that as sort of a way to say, look, this isn't a big deal. I've survived it. You'll survive it. 
I mean, for his supporters, that's that's probably a really convincing narrative. And, you know, at a time where, it, particularly in a year such as this one, where, you know, things have obviously just been so dire, perhaps mm-hmm. they're looking, you know, for that more upbeat message. But the problem lies in the fact that, you know, we're, we're not coming around a corner. There, there is no, you know, vaccine waiting in the wings, at least not yet. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know how... Um, how those two realities stand side by side, the, the case numbers and, and the sheer scale of the pandemic in the U.S., as well as sort of this belief um, by, by supporters of the president that, you know, that, that they'll get through it, that it's fine and that, you know, what matters now is opening the economy. I mentioned that, that polling deficit, which uh, was from the 538 poll of polls where they wait, crunch and um, merge every opinion poll grading them from trustworthy to untrustworthy it was round about 8.4 percent uh when they closed it just before the election and unlike with uh hillary clinton in 2016 that's not within the margin of error if trump were to win that would not be you know explained by well polling has a margin of error 538 was giving trump a one in ten chance before closing their 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 poll of polls it's now clearly looking a lot more than a one in, in ten chance Polling had an ex- existential crisis in 2016. Is it now going to have a terminal crisis? Will we be asking, what is the point of polling? I think, so. I mean, you know, yeah, it's interesting because I, I think because of 2016, I, I didn't pay a lot of attention to, attention to the polls um, to, to the extent that anyone can. I mean, I, I think it would be false, obviously, in, in those last 48 hours. I think everyone kind of finds themselves sort of just taking glances at them. Um, yeah, I mean, I think given the fact that, you know, early on that, you know, folks who are particularly optimistic in the polls seeing Biden have kind of substantial leads in some places, I think we're obviously pretty disappointed to see that the race is as close as it is. Um, but there could very well be a reckoning um, on, on the polling. Um, you know, I, I, I remember hearing from, from various commentators that the polling is better this time around. Um, you know, the, obviously we don't know the, the results just yet. So, um Perhaps it will have been slightly better compared to 2016, but but I think there there is a problem in that. I don't think you know that, that many polls kind of predicted it being as close as it seems to be. But then again, you know, we were. I, I think I keep going back to this idea. When I say I can't believe it, the truth is I can because we were kind of prepared for this outcome. We all just secretly hoped that we wouldn't have to deal with it. I mean, you know, I talked to Republican friends who said, you know, at the end of the day, let it just be a decisive outcome. And, and, and hopefully, it, you know, it will be decisive, but I think folks were kind of just hoping for a blowout either way, and we're not going to get that. Where do you think the Biden campaign fell short? It's kind of hard to, to sort of, because, I mean, you, you look at, we've talked about this, you look at kind of the state that the country was in, that the pandemic being this, you know, you would almost think that running against a candidate who, who has overseen such a colossal handling of a pandemic with an economy that's kind of crashed that it would almost be um, pretty easy to make your case. If, if anyone thought 2016 was an aberration, I think 2020 has really, irrespective of who wins, has really demonstrated the fact that this country is deeply divided. And, and perhaps that, that, you know, obviously was known. But, but I think, you know, for me as, as a reporter who covers populism, like, my biggest takeaway from this, you know, I was kind of looking at this election as like, it's going to be a bellwether for whether this style of politics is sustainable or not. And in my view, even if Trump wins, the fact that it's been this close suggests to me that it is, that folks will take away that lesson that actually, yeah, this this style of po- politics, of undermining institutions, of being brash, um, of running against an elite or an establishment, even when you yourself have been in power for four years, 
that can work even in a country like the U.S. Yeah, because I mean, the, the the sort of the hopes that you know, even if Biden wins, the hopes that there's going to be some sort of uh, restoration of standards and respect institutions and uh, the kind of uh, New Yorker view of the world seems rather forlorn at the moment, doesn't it? I mean, you you are you're seeing. Uh, an electorate faced with possibly the worst circumstances they could be faced with and the most you know, clearly mendacious campaign that they could be faced with. And, you know, possibly a majority of them have gone, yep, yeah, great, fine with that. Do you think that there will be, you know, on, on, on the postmortem within the Republicans, has this effectively empowered those voices, as you were saying, who, who um, you know, embrace this new form of politics? Because we we're, even now we're seeing newly elected Republican senators telling Trump, not to declare victory prematurely, to let it play out. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly don't expect, um, the, even if Trump were to lose, the Republicans to study, suddenly turn around and say, oh, actually, those four years, that kind of turn in the party, well, yeah, we repudiate all that, never mind. That's not going to happen. And I think more broadly, what we've kind of learned, I mean, you know, if, if Democrats were expecting some sort of, you know, that this election would be like a correction to 2016, that we would get some sort of moral victory, I think... The, that renunciation of the last four years that they were maybe looking for isn't going to come. So I wouldn't expect uh, the Republicans to be doing a lot of soul searching. Um, but actually kind of thinking back to your question about where Biden went wrong, I, I think more broadly, just looking at where the Democrats, I mean, you know, Biden was sort of put forward as this candidate that, you know, that the party thought could attract, you know, was just center enough that, you know, even though he has quite a progressive platform that could attract a, a broad swathe of the American public. And, you know, I, I would imagine that, you know, irrespective of whether Biden wins or loses, the Democrats are probably going to turn around and be like, we need to have a really serious think about what it is we're doing wrong here. How is it so close when we've just had the year that we've had and, and still, you know, the, it, yeah, I just, I, I think they're going to have to do perhaps a bit more soul searching than I would expect the Republicans to do, to be honest. Any kind of soul searching in the Democrats is, is obviously going to take place against the background that Trump in this campaign painted the party as the radical dangerous left. And given that you know, the internal debate in the Democrats is, well, we've, we've, we've gone with the palatable centrist guy here and he's been beaten possibly because he's been portrayed as a radical left, you, you kind of, you don't have too many options, do you? Centre center doesn't work and putting forward somebody more progressive and, you know, less conventional um, simply opens you to the same kind of attacks that um, possibly may have sunk Biden. Is there anywhere for them to go? Or just is it just the fact they've got to wait for, you know, Trump can't run again and just wait for a, a more beatable guy? <laughs> the thing that I um, anticipate, I mean, you know, obviously four years down, if, when, if Trump were to serve his last term, like I, I'm under no illusions that there are perhaps other Trumps waiting in the wings um, the, the, the turn that the Republican Party has taken, I mean, I'm, I'm not expecting that we're going to start seeing traditional kind of conservative candidates, the likes of Mitt Romney and George W. Bush coming back immediately, not after all this. I mean, it's just, it, it, it feels a bit farcical to kind of think that, you know, we're going to somehow return, even with the Biden presidency, that we would return to any sort of quote unquote normal as we've, as we've understood it. Um, I, I think, um, the, the, the party has taken on, or Trump has almost, you know, kind of taken the party and made it his own. And I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, in, in future candidates that the party seeks out similar sort of figures. The Democrats thought they had a chance to flip the Senate this time around, and it looks like uh, they haven't. 
presumably that means whoever the next president is, it means uh, an easier path for Trump and a tougher one for Biden. But how serious is it that the Democrats were not able to to flip the the Senate? Um, Yeah, I mean, it's it's serious to the extent that, you know, as you say, if Biden were to win, it means he will not have the first term that, you know, Barack Obama had, or even indeed that Donald Trump had. He would he would have a much harder time pushing through a lot of that, you know, all those campaign promises that he's made, particularly the kind of more progressive ones. Um, but, but I think, you know, it, it's kind of worth also remembering that, you know, the, the biggest challenge for, for a President Biden going in um, wouldn't be to start, you know, getting on those, those you know, campaign promises. It, it would be focusing on this pandemic and solving this issue, which indeed was a campaign promise, but, you know, I, I think um, it, it would be interesting to, to know, and I'm not admittedly not sure the answer of this, like how that would in, impact um, the sort of pandemic response, because I think that would kind of be the first thing on the docket uh, for a Biden presidency. But no doubt, I think obviously, you know, any president going in would love to have a supportive Congress behind them. So, yeah, I mean, it, we'll, we'll see what happens, but it does look indeed very close. So we've got several states to come, including Wisconsin, Nevada and Pennsylvania, which appears to be possibly the big one. And it may not report until Friday. It seems pretty clear that this is going to end up in lengthy and complicated uh, litigation. Trump has been flagging this since before voting even started. What do you think, Yasmin, is, is likely to be the result of having another presidency possibly decided in court rather than at the ballot box? Gosh, I mean, you know, I don't want to under, undermine that that you know process because obviously these are these are the processes in place for when we have an instance such as this. But obviously, yeah, I mean, the, the court, the, the challenges that are that could potentially be occurring before all the votes have even been counted, I think, is quite troubling. And to be honest with you, my, my biggest concern isn't ultimately who wins the White House, though that's obviously a concern for everyone, and that's what we're all waiting for. But um, my biggest fear is that there are going to be a chunk of Americans from either side who walk away from this election um, feeling as though they no longer have faith in the system, even if, you know, perhaps they didn't have any to begin with. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that the system is perfect. Um, there, you know, we've obviously seen reports of incredibly long voting queues, voter suppression in certain states, um, you know, in a situation where a candidate can win the popular vote by the millions and still lose uh, the presidency. So, but, but nonetheless, um, you know, I think it would be really damaging if Americans no longer trust this process, um, you know, no longer have faith in their democracy. And I think the fact that, you know, we're, we're kind of at a process where the votes are still being counted and the president is kind of seeking to delegitimize that process and, and kind of, you know, suggesting that he would want to see voting counting stopping in some places and pressing ahead in others is just really dangerous. And, and I think, you know, if, if it's one thing that should unite Republicans and Democrats, I would hope it's that, you know, all the votes should be counted and we should just see this process through. I, I think obviously kind of a return to the courts and sort of a 2000 flashback would not, would not be ideal, but, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I just, um, yeah, th- that's my biggest worry. I think at the end of the day, the idea that there will be some Americans who may walk away from this rightly or wrongly thinking that their system is fraudulent as the president would say, corrupt, um, which I just, yeah, is damaging. Well, Yasmin, thanks for staying awake for us. Go and have yet more coffee. We'll be back tomorrow with another Bunker Daily, possibly on a different subject. And on Friday, we've got a special aftermath cast on the US presidential election when maybe we'll know who the next president will be. Either way, whatever happens is probably not going to clear the poisonous atmosphere in American politics. There's a lot more of this to come. But thanks for listening. 
We'll see you next time. And listeners, you can probably go to bed now as well. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronievich. And audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.